the Mindset Athlete Podcast and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting for this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hoth. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. On today's show, I've got Kapil Gupta. Following a 15-year corporate career and an MBA from the University of Edinburgh, Kapil raised $1 million and co-founded Turn On Britain, a company dedicated towards personal growth. He spent the last six years living a very spiritual, monastic lifestyle full of practices in connection and relating. During this journey of personal growth, he has taught over a thousand people from the front of the room and supported over a hundred people through one-to-one coaching. Kapil now provides transformational coaching, organized talks, workshops, and holds men's groups and manages online forums for people to connect and discuss their challenges and successes in an open and safe place. So welcome on to the show, Kapil. Thanks, James. Glad to be here. Uh, the pleasure is absolutely all mine. So beyond the initial introduction that I've given you today, what little nugget would you like to add and give to my audience? I think it, it's interesting when you start talking about yourself. There's a whole story behind it, but to fit it in like a couple of paragraphs uh, is always strange. So for me, uh, I, I usually talk about two different things. One was that in my corporate career, I was very much in that uh, place of achievement mindset, but not really doing it from a place of uh, deeply rooted in who I am and how I wanted to live my life. It was like after sort of 15 years in corporate and having reasonably good success, I got to this place where I was asking myself, is there more to life than what I was experiencing? You know, like there was money coming into the bank account. I didn't have a huge lavish lifestyle, but I was like, okay, I'm spending all this money, but I'm not, I'm, I'm deep, I'm reasonably happy, but there's something missing, you know, that, that feeling that deep inside your soul, that there's something missing, like almost like the, the life was monochrome, monochrome and uh, some sort of colors were missing from, from my life. So that was one side of things. And second was, I was in a long-term relationship. I was uh, married for 11 years and we uh, separated, got divorced. And that was quite a big thing for me to really understand because I grew up in India with a very uh, conventional idea of relationship, you know, that you get into a a long-term relationship, you get married and it's for life. And then after the divorce, I... I had this question of like, oh, why did that happen? And what was my role in it? And what's there to learn in not just romantic relationships, but connection with people, you know, how to have connections, how to have intimacy with people around me in a way and uh, that 
that it's it's long lasting and what's the secret of that so those two things combined i went on my personal growth journey and very quickly the thing i re- started to realize was that um i was designing my life based on what people wanted me to be like you know like it was like it was this place where people would look at me and say okay he's made it in life i've ticked all the boxes he's got you know good job had a good relationship but by the time i had already gone through that bought you know a couple of properties so we had mortgages you know in edinburgh so all those tick boxes were there i was having a reasonably good life people around me looked at me and said oh he's made it in life but i was like is it really the life that i want to live so i started asking that question and then uh in my personal growth journey i started to become conscious of my impact on people so when i would meet someone what impact do i have what in my presence do they leave my presence better than they came in or worse so i started asking those questions and started to look at the feedback that i was getting from people or my impact on people and it started to change my view of a lot of things starting from who i was who i was and what i really wanted to do in my life and how i wanted to live my life and then when i do that like what's the uh uh you know how can i have those deep connections with people so i did a lot of research and relationships and connections and now i'm married again we've been together for the last 6 years and it's almost like a completely different paradigm of relationship which is based on practice based on telling each other absolute truth um and uh based on this pl- idea that two people are whole in the relationship and they grow together and it, the relationship is to shine light outwards um you know not just like make each other whole so like we're not broken we're not half individuals and we all come with our own shadow we come with our own fears and shame and how to bring all of that in relationship and then the same thing in uh, in my work with people it's all about what drives your life is it a limited mindset or a mindset that is based rooted in your deeper desires and can you design your life every part of your life from that place rather than a limited feeling of of i can only have this much or i can only do this much does that make sense mhm so i love your podcast about like the from a the athletics point of view and we were talking about this earlier is that you know there's nothing wrong with performance but if it's rooted in if i perform other people will be happy versus if i perform to find my own uh, edges to find my own potential and when you when you live your life from that place it's about you and your own mastery rather than competing necessarily with people and and comparing yourself with with other people well, i think it's a difficult in, in in the world that we live in um capital because obviously social media is predicated on that instagram is built on comparisons 
competition uh, and all that that brings. But I think from a sporting sense, and this is something I used to discuss with uh, Donovan Martin on it, and he talked about, obviously, um, purpose versus uh, perseverance. And every athlete has perseverance. Everybody has perseverance, even if they don't think they do. You, you're you're going to overcome adversity of what of the worst case scenarios you play inside your head. You know, losing a home, uh, being living on the street, and being homeless. Is it ever going to result to that? Probably not, because you're thinking of the worst case scenario in terms of your circumstance. But people look to find the worst scenario possible to not do things. And I think this within the athlete realm, they're used to hearing no and do it anyway. Whereas, and I'll use myself as an example because it's easier. Once you come outside of that arena, you don't feel the same identity. You need, you think you need to conform slightly and I say this to be it clients, people I come speak to uh, and say, you don't need to change your identity for anybody. If they don't accept everything that you bring as a package, that's cherry picking. It, it is, I think somebody would asked me, uh, you are not my cup of tea in terms of they, they, you, you are an acquired taste. Well, that's somebody sitting on the fence you need to pick you either like that person or you don't in terms of you're an acquired taste i would probably say it's more towards they don't like the person but they don't want to fully commit and hurt the person's feelings and they sit on the fence whereas i think that's probably where most adults are they they don't want to say their true feelings and emotions as because they think and this is me generalizing a little bit because not everybody will do it. They don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. Whereas if you were truthful with somebody, for better or worse, if you were being genuine, you'd accept it, but you'd probably be a little bit hurt at the time, but you kind of get over it. Or the other side of it, are oh, you've been lying to me all this time and there's a little bit of resentment because why couldn't you tell me the truth? I, I totally agree. I think we live in a culture where we're trying to please people all the time, you know? And what I often say is that, are you causing, um, uh, like, is it a hurt or harm? You know, it's like you might hurt someone or someone's feelings by telling them the truth, but you might cause harm in long term, if you don't tell them the truth, you know, it's like I was just talking to someone uh, a couple of days ago around dating. And this friend of mine was, he was going on dates, but in his mind, he's always thinking, how can I get to the second date or third date or fourth date? So he wouldn't be hundred percent truthful in his first date, you know? And he's like, if I say something, that this person doesn't like, then I'm, I'm stopping my chances of getting the second date. And in that way, A, he's, he's not being in the moment. He's continuously evaluating everything, whether I'm doing the right thing or not. And there's like a, 
almost like a checks and balances of, am I doing enough things right to get the second day? And then I said to him, is like, okay, what's the actual cost of not saying the truth? You might get second date, third date, or fourth date. And after fourth date, or, you know, in some cases, after a few months, when the truth starts to come out, that relationship breaks down. And you've spent all this time, money, and energy pretending to be someone who you are not. And that's really the cost of not being truthful up front. And when you leave something like this for such a long time, that causes more harm in long term than actually just being honest and truthful. So there's this really interesting place where we get into people pleasing and and almost thinking that, oh, I want to be liked. Uh, and if I say the truth, I won't be liked and I might cause some hurt to people. I, and to, you know, on, honestly, I was one of those guys for a long period of time. I would be like people pleasing all the time and not say the truth because I didn't like conflict. And when I started to learn that actually conflict is okay and people actually want to hear the truth, even though somewhere in my mind, somewhere in their mind as well, they might not like conflict, but ultimately everyone wants to hear the truth. But do you think it goes a step further than that, Kapil, in terms of, um, okay, this is a general statement a little bit, the individual, be it even, even the listeners that are, are, are um, watching this episode, listening to this episode, do you think it comes down to the, the individual not accepting a small part of themselves as to they've not actually overcome a certain demon and it's it's like well i'm gonna show this side of me the side, the side i like the side i believe that people will generally come to love and the stuff that i'm not too sure about that people i kind of think well they're not gonna like this so let's not show it do you think that comes down to an acceptance to them being able to look themselves in the mirror and be comfortable in their own skin and they then necessarily don't care about the periphery? Absolutely. Now, we're going a bit into the spiritual realm. <laughs> Ultimately, what I have found in, through my own personal growth journey is that it comes down to two key areas how we define our internal value or how we define our value. Let's just say how we define our value. And usually we define our value based on how other people see us. So there's like a scoring mechanism. You know, if I appear in a certain way, if I'm seen as successful, if I'm seen as ticking all these boxes as per the cultural norms, then I will be valued. So a lot of that comes from us defining our value through external factors and not defining our value just based on who we are. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is a sense of self-worth and uh, self-love. That is, again, most of us, um, I wouldn't say all of us, 
but most of us have define our sense of worth by comparing ourselves with other people. So for me, I, and I didn't realize for, for a long time, for me, it was this place that if in my mind, I think someone else is better than I am, then I automatically go into competition with them. And I have to then prove that I am better to get a sense of relief in my system. And when I have that sense of relief, it's almost like I can breathe. So my entire idea of my own self-worth was dependent on how I compare myself with other people. And any time, you know, I, I see that someone else is better than, then suddenly I'm like just automatically, it's like a reactive, subconscious reactivity that I have that I would start doing things to prove myself. So I find that ultimately the the people pleasing side and how we show up in in world a lot of that comes from how we define our value and self worth and can we actually be kind to ourselves and love ourselves and not just be dependent on all the time from from, from external factors. Well, it starts reproducing obviously negative thoughts be it i posted something today on facebook as we're recording uh in terms of um i can't remember what the title was of, of the content but be it at the end, at the very end i talked about it be it uh like disbelief um not necessarily self-worth but it was manifesting itself in business in sport as you're always judging yourself as am i good enough is is this is this product going to be good enough? And this is obviously uh, going to result in procrastination. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's sport. It doesn't matter if it's business. It can manifest in exercise, diet, uh, you name it. Because you kind of comparing yourself to somebody else. Well, because it's such and such, uh, we'll say Barry down the street, for, for argument's sake, has been able to achieve this goal. I haven't you obviously get into competition mode like you were talking about. Hit self-destruct, hit, hit the self-destruct button. And now you think, well, I'm not good enough. I can't achieve this. I can't achieve that. I'm not capable of doing this. And a lot of things then stay on, on the shelf because it's like, well, if it's not a hundred percent in my eyes, somebody else won't value it. So, and, and you kind of, in a sense, stay, uh, and I say, in a sense, you you do stay stagnant. You don't. You you need somebody, uh, obviously, be a coach, mentor, friend, uh, peer support, coach, family member to kind of say, "Hang on a second, take a step back, look at the bigger picture, put it out, put it out there, be it is a product, get the actual real life world to evaluate it." see how the engagement goes with it and then obviously make a decision because if, it, if you stay procrastinate, it's never going to see the light of day because you will ne- you will, it will be never perfect. I think Gary Vee did something similar uh, in some of his content where somebody obviously asked him that question. So it, it, it comes up in every facet of life in terms of why does something have to be perfect before it gets out there? There's no such thing as perfection uh, because if you look at it from the sporting sense, we're trying to aspire to perfection, 
but your goals change, they deviate, they change, uh, you adapt, you, if I use an American football analogy, they'll look, go back and look at game film in the course of the game and change things according to what they now see to be able to adapt to obviously be successful and win, win the game. Whereas I think we have a difficulty to be able to, as human beings, manifest that into us ourselves. Yeah, totally. And I love that. I think I'm, I am a big proponent of this idea of slow practice and flow practice. So slow practice, I call it anything that you're doing mindfully. So it could be meditation, it could be sports, it could be um, running. Like It could be a writing practice like journaling. And, or sometimes I would say even connection with people, if you are doing something mindful, those things are slow practices where you're slowing down enough and bringing your, your attention within yourself and with people you are interacting and learning something about yourself. And then when you do that on a regular basis, what's happening is you are reprogramming your subconscious mind in a way that when you go out into the world in what I call flow practice, you're living your life uh, on, a, on a regular basis, it starts to show up in your regular life because you're changing your behavior at a subconscious level. So it starts to show up in, in your life. But quite often than not, we don't do things mindfully. And I, I love sports as an analogy because I used to play a lot of sports when I was young. Um, <clears throat> and there is there is this thing where I, I find that in some ways in sports, you are actually competing with yourself to, you know, to get better. You know, yes, there. I, I, I'm not sure if you've come across this book called Finite and Infinite Games. It's uh, the author's name is James P. Cars. That was a book that really changed my mindset. And he talks about this idea that we life is an infinite game. And within this infinite game, we play finite games. And finite games are played to win or to lose. But an infinite game we play just to Get, keep the game going, right? And, and I love that concept, and you can apply that in sports, in your life, in relationships, at work, is that in some ways we are all playing these finite games to win or lose in some ways, but overarching theme is that we're playing those games to keep the game going. And through each one of those finite games, we're really finding our own potential and competing with ourselves through almost like a game where we're competing with other people but ultimately it's about me finding my own potential can I what is my edge how can I improve myself to go to the next level and using competition as almost just a a way to to do it you know and I, so I love that that concept and and my experience is that if you do these things mindfully, 
you can slowly start to change your mind, subconscious mind, so that you can start to do that everywhere in your life. Well, it's a, it's a difficult one because obviously, uh, and I've talked to you at length about it, be like with mental health, you obviously hit rock, rock, rock bottom. Obviously, with the definition of rock bottom is going to be finite reasons and, and finite definitions depending on the person and their circumstances. But obviously, for me, it was reprogramming myself. And, and it was, I was open to suggestions. It would be, okay. It was obviously me that was aware that I have a problem, which is, it takes obviously a big person to be able to, to realize, well, yeah, it's not just affecting me, it's affecting other people. And then I think when it dawned on me, well, it's not just you in the world that this is affecting. You need to kind of grow, grow up. Oh, it's not great to use this term, but I'll, I'll, I'll use it anyway, but grow a pair of balls and, and look to get help uh, because obviously it's stigmatized as it is uh, where people are uh, um, looking to heavily guard their, the, the, I call it a dark secret as uh, to get over by themselves. Whereas you think of it from a, a relation standpoint, family standpoint, sport, you've got a support network around you even if you say you don't, because I had coaches, I had teammates, I had probably teammates that are very close to, um, and they check in, you know, like out of the blue in terms of how you doing, oh, this is good content, etc. I don't expect it. It's, it's one of those, things, whereas those are like everlasting relationships that you've got, that you've always got that person's back. But in terms of, getting to overcoming and getting out of the that dark tunnel and into the light when a practitioner would say are you willing to try a holistic approach as opposed to the the pharmaceutical one i was very surprised but okay we'll go with that one first and if it doesn't work obviously we're gonna to have to go down the the medication route luckily for me the, the holistic one it worked and it'd be well let's learn about where you're at about how you you're dealing with it coping with it um to be able to best serve you and then obviously give you kind of home homework as i like to put it to go away and obviously do the work and see anything in life doesn't come for free even if things say it the opposite be you know like the quick fix uh the magic pill uh, and things of that nature it doesn't work that way. Something is not going to miraculously change overnight. You might be lucky, and, and it does, but those are very few and far between where things will change finitely by, I don't know, 50% because 100% change would be unrealistic. But I was willing to change, and it was like it was difficult. But like we talked about earlier in the episode, it came to a point where I had to accept that to a certain extent I had a form of depression because I was struggling with things that have happened in the past. I was pushing it back, back against it. It was like, well, I'm not going to go away from it because that would defeat the objects uh, of where I'm trying to get to. And I don't want to go towards it, but I don't want to accept it. And then it, and it got a little bit better. Then you hit that rough patch where you kind of get to the next level. Oh, it's difficult again. I didn't expect this. Uh, and then I think when I truly accepted, well, 
you have no problem with anxiety or people don't have a problem with anxiety in general, but they obviously have the stigma towards depression. It's like, okay, I'm not scared of the future. I need to overcome these demons that have have happened in the past that I've kind of pushed under the carpet. You need to now face them. I've I've made them bigger than they needed to be. If I had to face them when they would have happened. And then it slowly started to, to get better. And then I think one day, in the summer, thinking, oh, I feel a lot better. <laughs> it's like it, it feels like it's happened overnight, but it's something that's happened gradually. So I will talk to people and say, "Well, you don't have to do it at six to eight weeks, uh, six to eight months, should I say? Sorry, uh, to be able to overcome some of these things. If you're aware and willing to take the balls by the horns, take action, and obviously face." those deepest fears uh, and obviously look to overcome what is going to make you better. It's not necessarily the darkness. And I can't remember what the quote is. It's your deepest fear is not you're inadequate. It's your deepest fear. You're scared, actually scared of the light, which would obviously scare people. It's like, well, you would think you'd be scared of the darkness, but I think people are scared of putting in the work because most of the time they've, they've hit, failure so it's like well it doesn't always have to happen like that you can you can get support and then you come out the other side you you had no problem as a child to to ask questions why can't you do it as an adult yeah i i love that yeah i think the quote that i uh, remember is this thing where that people are actually scared of their own potential that they they are powerful beyond measure and yeah, there's so many amazing things you said there. I find that people only change from inspiration or desperation. In my case, as you yourself said with your depression, in my case, it was also, it got to a point where um, I hit rock bottom. My own rock bottom, where from a relationship point of view, from a what was happening in my life point of view, something had to change, you know? And it's an unfortunate thing that I think most people change from desperation. And I have seen a few people who have sort of been inspired and changed their life, but usually people change from desperation. And that's, I think that's because we get used to the comforts in our life. And it, you know, it, we only, we're only willing to get rid of some of those comforts when we are desperate. That was definitely the case with me, you know, like even though I was, I had the cushion of making good money and having a reasonably good life, it wasn't until I was like, okay, I need to change things to understand and what, why am I not happy why is my life so bland or you know i really need to change how like when i was i was i was you know dating a lot of people but i couldn't really connect to people i was stuck in my head in my own fantasy world most of the time so it was almost like uh i was meeting people i was connecting with them but it was just like a narrow bandwidth of emotions that i could feel and express and 
it got to a point where like, okay, something has to change. And uh, my, my sense is that when you do get to that point and start asking questions, some kind of path opens up. It's frustrating. I think the path is quite frustrating to start with. And everyone said to me as well, it's like, oh, when you're ready, things will change. And I used to be like, you know, don't tell me that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting place. A lot of people, I speak to a lot of people and my first question to, to them or when some people say, oh, my friend has this issue and he needs to change or my partner has to do some work, my question always comes down to, are they actually willing to do the work? And you said this beautifully as well. Ultimately, ultimately it comes down to, am I willing to do the work? Am I willing to be uncomfortable, let go of some of this comfort to find a different direction in my life? And when you do, then I think having a coach or a mentor or someone who can point to your blind spots is absolutely crucial. And I find that having a community of people around you who are all in a similar position or have been through a similar position really helps. And having some kind of practice so that you're continuously doing the self-inquiry work. So those three things like having someone, a guide, let's call it guide, a guide, a community, and having a practice, those three things are are what I find is the magic potion. You combine those three, which is the magic potion for for changing your mindset. Well, I think I think you can go a step further as well with the accountability aspect of it as well. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll steal this from uh, one of the Channel 4's uh, comedy shows where they've got like a bullshit button. It's like people will call you out in terms of you, you say certain things where you'll deviate from the real problem and kind of make up a one that doesn't really, is not really big issues. Like, well, that's not really true, uh, John. It's that's superficial. You're making it up to make yourself feel better <laughs> or to be able to, as, uh, um, oh God, I can't remember his name now. That's not uh, Daryl Stinson. I watched his one of his TED, his recent TEDx talk. He talked about there's no actual form of rejection. People either have uh, they're facing projection, with obviously people emphasizing themselves on on, on you, uh, or you are prote- you are going into a sense of pro- uh, protection. And I think that's a great way of looking at rejection because. That's in a, in a sense what it is. It's people want you to either emulate what they're doing, good or bad, and you are quote unquote being the black sheep of the group by being um, an individual, or you're obviously doing things to put yourself at ease and, and stay within comfort. And I think with accountability, obviously a coach can do it quite easily because they can see over over a lot of times when uh, certain um, instances of something coming repeatedly happening with, you know, multiple clients. Well, that's a common theme. If it comes up again, 
well, I can call bullshit on that because it's like, that's an excuse. And here you go. Here's a case study for all these people that have been in a similar predicament as you and look where they are now. And I think from, obviously, when you, I won't say when you get better, but when you are able to be aware and be able to see it for yourself, you're accountable to yourself to kind of say, from a thought process, be it if you have a negative idea come into your head or people are kind of persuading you in that direction you can kind of call well bullshit i don't agree with this uh based on am i i don't know the argument am i stupid am i lazy am i etc well do you really believe that obviously laziness in terms of not willing to do something at a given time I would say that's probably idleness more than laziness because family will say that to me occasionally. You are lazy. Like certain aspects of what I do at certain times, yeah, I would agree, but I'm not lazy because I wouldn't have done what I did in sport if I was lazy because you need to be, uh, have some sort of, some people might say stupidity to want to do that to your body on a daily basis. But that's coming back to the, the what you raised in the very beginning of the episode. It's it's you're passionate in terms of you want to do that. It doesn't matter if you 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 were paid you weren't paid at all. You would still do that. And I think from a sporting sense, that's where you started. Most are not lucky to finish like that and have their entire career uh, where they don't um, think at one time or other, "Why am I doing this?" What's the point? Um, I see it as a job. I obviously did that, and I've said I had to call time on my my um, professional career. I've then been able to re- reevaluate as becoming a coach. I like practice again. I like training. You would not hear me say that probably about five ten years ago. It would be certain aspects of it, and it's very much coming back to my argument that we talked about in the very beginning: picking and choosing what I wanted whereas I'm not taking everything as a whole and lapping it all up yeah practices for me I I, I struggle as well <laughs> however I've come to realize that I feel more sane when I'm doing my practices so over a period of time I've come to terms with the idea that practices are good for me you know, and and that's why I. It's almost like when I when I do my my practices, um, there's like a it's like a, a a windscreen wiper for my soul. You know, I'm going about day to day life. All this smog gets collected on my windscreen, and my practices are something that just like clears it out and. And I can see things and I can feel things and I can do things in a much more clear way. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. And uh, I think there's something else you you said there, um, but I'm forgetting, that I I agreed with you, essentially. But I think it does does come down to, I think, reflection, uh, being aware of not having the wool over your eyes, be it obviously with you and I living in the UK uh, today would be a, a very, I don't want to go political in terms of it, but being winning a general election, uh, that's very one that you can have your eyes 
be have the wool pull over your eyes from a political standpoint based on your own viewpoint. Whereas I think people are very quick to be judgmental in terms of being divisive. It's it'll be I I was I've been very close to deleting a couple of people off my Facebook just by because it's got too political. It's like at the end of the day, it's your opinion, and and you've been taught from a very young age is that's one thing you don't talk about is politics or religion and be within a, in a circle where that's going to be um, the issue or topic at hand. That's obviously fair enough, but to put it in the mainstream and put it over a social media platform, it's like, I, I did like, I was a teammate of mine and I, I call him as so an associate as a, as a, not a very close friend, but he was asking, well, how are you going to vote? How are you going to, it's like, well, that's supposed to be a private thing. After the fact, I can understand it, but most people won't. They won't say, well, this is why I voted because you'll get that stigma, that prejudice that we were talking about in terms of you're going to then pass judgment as uh, you are one of these type of people based on your political allegiances, where it's like, well, I might have voted for it as for the, based on these principles as to what is real democracy but obviously we will come off that subject because it's it's divisive in in, in itself just the argument yeah judgment it's you know like we are I, I, I find that we are judging machines you know both in terms of looking at how people are judging us or us judging people. It's happening continuously. And I just remember the thing from the last point that we were talking about, telling the truth. It's, yes, the guide or the coach or mentor's role. And I find surrounding yourself with a community of people who can tell you the truth, who can look you in the eye and say, well, what you're saying is bullshit. (laughs) is is absolutely crucial and i think part of the job of receiving that feedback is that when people give you feedback you've got to know which part is true for you and which part might not be because not everyone says things that's 100 percent true it might be, it might not be. Some some of the times when you get feedback, it's mixed with their own projection of things because they have their own life, they have their own conditioning, they have their own experiences. And I find that part of when I receive some feedback, I can look at it and say, oh, okay, that some part of it feels true. And the part that feels true, I can take in and work on it and improve myself. And part of it that doesn't feel true, doesn't resonate with me, I just let go of that part. And, uh, you know, try and not make that sticky or get reactive in that. And I find that is quite an important thing in the whole feedback loop of being available to receive truth from people um, and, and how to then work with it. Do you think, Kapil, then from, from that standpoint that we've kind of got in a, in a loop in itself with uh, having problems with, defin- I can't say this word, being able to 
Diffir- diffir- well, I can't say the word. Uh, being able to see between what is critical thinking versus what is criticism. Because I was asked um, only this week by a company that was uh, reviewing my website and obviously giving me feedback on ways to improve it. And he kind of asked me, is it okay that I give you critical feedback? Like, absolutely. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I've asked for it. So if you kind of say, this is crap, this is crap, this is crap, this is your expertise. This is is where uh, I've obviously come for you to um, wipe the slate clean and and kind of uh, propel the website and the business forward. So I'm coming to you as that's an invaluable resource go ahead get get the get the knives out uh get the axes out absolutely but i think because of the nature i think that we live in in terms of the society i think it's he's probably maybe encountered and i'm going to generalize a little bit obviously people have a have a problem with getting well this isn't good it's like well if you've gone and sorted to get that resource that whatever you want to call it critiqued they're obviously going to look at the good points as well but there's going to be some some negatives as otherwise you wouldn't go to that individual in the first place so i think from that basis do you think we're in a in a kind of a matrix kind of environment as we we only want to see or hear the stuff that's going to obviously make us feel good uh, and obviously happy as opposed to stuff that is, if you actually took a step back and looked more positive, positively towards it, it's still going to give you growth, but you're seeing it as, oh, it's undermining my worth. It's, it's you're, you're attacking my being. I think so. I, I, I'll give you from my experience, a two-dimensional answer. I think the first piece is true in that we 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 take things personally when feedback comes. So instead of looking at the feedback as, as a value judgment or sort of value neutral piece, it's like the thing with rejection. You know, like most people are scared of not most people, a lot of people are scared of approaching someone they're attracted to because there's a place where if I approach and they reject me, then I take it as a rejection of myself as a human being as opposed to rejection of the offer that I'm making. So I I find that it's the same thing with the critique or feedback is a lot of the time we make it about us as human beings. So it's not that the website could be improved in the example that you're saying, and I know you probably dealt with it in a completely different way, but generally speaking, what happens is when someone critiques a website, I am looking at it as, oh, because I did, the, I made the website, this person is critiquing my, me as a person, as a human being. And that's, I think we get stuck in that. And, if we can remove those two things where we can take in the critique of the website and not make it about ourselves as human beings, then I think we can make, look at it more objectively. 
So that's the first thing. And I think that the second piece that I find I have learned, which is invaluable, is as someone who is giving critique, there's this concept of radical honesty. I'm not sure if you've come across that concept, but no, not yet. there is, there is a, a, a lot of people studying this concept of radical honesty in that you say the truth no matter what. And I find that slightly... Um, That's quite dangerous. Though. <laughs> right. But, uh, dangerous and also I, I find it, it takes away the responsibility of the person who's communicating, who's giving the feedback. In that when you are connected with someone, I need to be able to see what you're able to hear. You know, if I start talking to you, giving you feedback in a way that you're not able to hear, then it's as much my responsibility as someone who's giving the feedback that you are not getting it as much as yours. So I find that what I like to call resonant honesty. You know, I connect with you and I read where you're at and I then talk to you in a way that you're able to actually hear it and digest the feedback that I'm giving to you without sugarcoating it necessarily. So there's a level of abstraction in terms of the communication that we make. So it's, it's meeting the other person at the same level of abstraction as they're at. <clears throat> and that comes from uh, really being able to feel someone. <clears throat> it's like that place where, you know, if someone's angry, like especially, I don't know, this, this might be politically incorrect, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll use that as an example because it's, it's widely used. You know, someone's angry and then, you kind of go, oh, is it time of the month? Now, you know, you might have used it as a, a joke, but if you don't connect with that person and you don't have rapport with that person, you are actually provoking them even more. So they won't hear you after that. However, if you connected with them and you have a good rapport, and if you say something like that, then it could just be a good sort of banter and, and connection between you. And I, I find that is the difference between radical honesty and resonant honesty in that if someone's angry, I acknowledge, oh, it, it feels like you're angry about something. What is it? You know, or the other ways to say, you know, you're obviously angry. And I'll just overlook that part and I'll say the thing that I'm saying anyway. So I find that is a, a, an important piece of person who's giving the critique. And then at the receiving end, being able to make adjustments to say, oh, okay, I hear what you're saying, but could you slow down a bit? Or could you say it in a different way so that I can actually hear it? So bringing consciousness to ourselves and in our connection so that we can actually receive the feedback that the other person is giving. So it, I guess what I'm saying is it's both people's responsibility in that communication, both as receiving critique and giving critique and then not taking personally uh, is what I find is, is needed in that. And it's all about bringing consciousness to, to all parts of our life. 
And do you think that's why uh, people obviously are, are very much yes people um, in terms of most of the things they do because they don't want conflict. So it's better to say yes. Yeah. Do you think that's why they kind of go to when, when you kind of encounter that as well? Why can't you say no to somebody? Do you think is that because it's already so deep ingrained in terms of they don't want conflict? So if I do something that's, I necessarily think is right for me and it's time to be on the other the shoe to be on the other foot and say no do you think they don't have the leverage to be able to do it because they've always said yes to other things yeah you can say either conflict or um, being uncomfortable I think we're I can only talk about myself I definitely wasn't comfortable in a heated discussion and I, I used to avoid that. And I think a lot of people do because when, when you are in discomfort, we will do everything to get back to what I call homeostasis or our natural place, which is a place of comfort for us. And I think that's why we avoid getting into conflict or avoid creating scenarios where um, any kind of disagreement would come i think especially in british culture um there's there's a sense of like politeness um which works in some ways and at the same time it it takes us away from deeper connection because we're not really being real with each other so that's for sure so my penultimate question to you kapil is if obviously anybody wanted to reach out to you from a social media perspective to be able to ask you additional questions that they might have had and not got answered in this episode, how can they reach out to you? So my website is uh, nibana.life. That's N-I-B-A-N-A.life. And uh, I am on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Um, uh, Caps Gupta is my Instagram, or they can you can email me at kapil at nibana.life, and I'm happy to answer any questions through that. And my final question to you before we wrap up the episode, then Kapil, is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take oh away, God. what would that be? <laughs> um. I would say, ask yourself, what is the cost of not living the life that you've always wanted? And answer that sincerely. And answer whether you are at a place whether you want to make some changes in your life. And if you can, if the answer to the the second question is yes, then great. And if the answer to the second question is no, i.e., do you want to make change in your life? If the answer is yes, then do something about it. And if the answer is no, then just be happy with where you are. <laughs> and you can contact me. <laughs> so once again, Kapil, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thanks, James. It was a pleasure.
Oh, the pleasure of being absolutely all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Kapil and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at CapsGupta. That's K-A-P-S-G-U-P-T-A and at James O. Roberts 11 and that's number 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. Additionally, if you had any questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out his website, www.nabina.life. So that's N-I-B-A-N-A dot life. And as always, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting and finally not forgetting i've also started a facebook group especially for the podcast which you can find by typing the mindset athlete so make sure to check those out the links will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general so once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you next week for another episode of the mindset athlete podcast